Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am here to give you your Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. But before I do that, if you could, please subscribe to the podcast where you ever you get your podcast from, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Podbeam, Spotify, all these other places that I usually list. And also, if you could, please give me a review. Because when you do that, it does help out the algorithms to let them know that I am here and it pushes the podcast further out in the atmosphere. That would be greatly appreciated. Now, with that being said, let's start off with the show. Monday Night Raw. Raw will open up with Brock Lesnar coming out to address the audience. Brock is usually out here to um, advertise for his upcoming matchup with Roman Reigns at SummerSlam for the Undisputed uh, Universal Championship in a last-minute standing match. Brock has mentioned that since he's gone away, Roman has been living good since WrestleMania. Brock would say that Roman has become a hog and hogs get slaughtered. And that's what he's going to do at SummerSlam in their last man standing match. Paul Heyman will come out to interrupt Brock. And Paul would say that he doesn't like that Roman has to face Brock in a last man standing match because that benefits Brock Lesnar. You know what bothers me? We've gone from the most stupendous WrestleMania of all time to the most barbaric SummerSlam of all time, and that plays right into your hands. For 20 years, we defined Brock Lesnar's legacy by annihilating people, by putting them down for good, by taking them out of action, by breaking their necks, by conquering streaks, by ending careers. So if Brock Lesnar has to put Roman Reigns down for the count of 10, that's what Brock Lesnar is going to do. Paul will continue further on by telling Brock that he is going to train Roman in a way that Roman will be able to beat Brock Lesnar because this is one streak Brock will not beat. This is one streak that Brock will not end because Roman is approaching 700 days as champion. And as that, Paul is going to make sure that Brock will not end this streak. Theory would come out and Theory would let both men know that SummerSlam is going to be the biggest event in history. Theory mentions how he's going to regain back his United States Championship and later in the night he'll be watching Mass Destruction in the main event. And after all is said and done, he will walk down to the ring, cash in and put his foot on the winner because he will become the youngest undisputed champion in history. Theory lets Paul know that he might want to listen to Brock and shows him footage of Elimination Chamber when Brock F5 Theory off one of the Elimination Pods showing how brutal Brock is and he, how he doesn't care about another person's life. Theory will let Brock know that he didn't forget about what he did, so that's another reason why Theory might want to cash in on Brock for that utter revenge factor. Brock would tell Theory to come down to the ring so they could handle this, but instead of Theory coming down, you would get Alpha Academy. Alpha Academy will come through the crowd and surround the ring. Brock was ready, and the Academy tried to outmaneuver Brock, but to no avail. Brock would absolutely massacre the Academy. Brock would hit both men with steel steps. He would give chair shots to both of their backs. He would belly-to-belly suplex Chad Gable on the outside of the ring, and he would F5 Otis through the commentary table. So with Brock doing this, this gives Paul a look-see at what basically could happen to Roman at the last man standing match at SummerSlam, and this gives 
Brock just more credibility as to how much of a beast he actually is because F5ing Otis with ease through a commentary table is no easy foot, but Brock's a beast and he's, as Pat McAfee would say, he's the alpha male of our species, so this gives Brock uh, much more credibility. After this, we were going to get Rey Mysterio versus uh, Finn Balor with Rey having Dominic in his corner and Finn having Damian Priest in his corner. We would still get the match, but before that match happens, you would have... Finn and Damien try to recruit Dominic. They will congratulate Ray because in two weeks at Madison Square Garden, they will be celebrating Ray's 20th anniversary since he debuted in the WWE. And by doing this, they will call Ray washed up and that he can't lead Dominic anywhere, but they can and they will lead the next generation into the WWE. Finn will call Ray a horrible father and then a brawl will break out between all four men. Referee will come down, they will separate these guys, and we would get the match on the way with Ray versus Finn. Finn would win the match by pinfall, when Finn would hit Ray with the coup de grace for the win. And then after the match, you would see Dominic get in the ring to check on his father, and then you would see Finn and Damien just start tapping their skull and telling Dominic, hey, you need to listen, think about it. So now we have the idea of Dominic might turning on his father, maybe joining up with the Judgment Day, because again, they did say in two more weeks, what other big swerve would it be for Dominic to turn on his father at the 20th anniversary of his father debuting in WWE? That's just no, uh, that's not just something that you just drop out of the thin air. That's something for to lead up to something. After this, we will have a Raw Women's Championship matchup with Bianca Belair going against Carmella, but before both of those ladies would come out, Becky Lynch would come out. And she would say that she's tired of being screwed around with. Becky would say that Winning the Money in the Bank briefcase and cashing it in the way that Liv did is not her style. So she talked about how she went through a no-holds-barred match last week, and now she won that, and that she should have automatically been given a shot at the Raw Women's Championship. But however, that went to Carmella. Becky will say that she doesn't care who wins the match tonight because she will face the winner at SummerSlam. So Becky would stay at ringside for this Raw Women's Championship matchup. Carmella would win the match by countout, thanks to a distraction from Becky, when Bianca and Carmella were both on the outside of the ring, and Carmella would rake the eyes of Bianca. Bianca would shove Carmella into the ring post, then throw her back into the ring. Bianca would get on the ring apron, and you see Becky make her way over to her, and as she was going to, looks like she was going to attack Bianca, Bianca would stop and look at Becky, and then you see Bianca and Becky just talk to one another as the referee counted Bianca out. So, Carmella does have a win over Bianca, but it's a countout. And if people that don't know this, um, a countout victory does not mean the championship uh, switches hands. The only time the championship switches hands is either on pinfall or submission. Uh, countouts and disqualifications does not change champions. So, after the match, you would see Carmella grab the women's championship, hold it up in the air, act like she won it. She would mouth off to Bianca saying that she beat her and she is the EST. Bianca would forearm Carmella in the face, then hit her with a KOD, then take her Women's Championship and lift it up in the air. And this more or less is going to set up for a triple threat match at SummerSlam for the Raw Women's Championship, but it has not been officially announced yet as of Monday Night Raw. After this, we would get Miz TV with his special guest, Champa. Champa's whole reasoning for joining the Miz is that he wants to spotlight on him and aligning himself with the Miz would give him that opportunity. Miz would say that's a smart idea because he turned 
someone like Logan Paul, a social media star, into a winner at WrestleMania over a legendary family like the Mysterios. Miz, again, would offer his olive branch over to Logan Paul and say that he needs to join him and stand beside him, or he would take him on at SummerSlam with a partner, and he looks at Ciampa, so more or less Ciampa will probably be the partner for that tag team matchup. AJ will come out and tell them both to shut up. AJ will say that Miz has found him a guy that is willing to do his dirty work, and that sounds like the work of a coward with tiny balls. I don't get why we're fascinated, or WWE's fascinated with Miz having tiny genitals the way that they keep on saying this on television every week. That I don't get that, but all right. AJ will get in the ring and destroy the Miz TV set. Miz and Ciampa will leave the ring. Ezekiel will come out and introduce himself to AJ and let him know that he talked to Adam Pearce and he got himself a tag match with himself and AJ going against the Miz and Ciampa. We will get that match next. And the winner of that match will be AJ and Ezekiel, but they will win by the disqualification when AJ had Miz in the calf crusher and Ciampa will run in and attack AJ. The ref will call for the bell. I say this is a stupid reason to call for the bell. Even uh, Corey Graves said this is a dumb reason to call out for disqualification for that. Multiple times you've seen a tag match, the tag partner will come in to uh, break up the whether and when their partner is in a uh, bad predicament. But during this, the referee just decided to call for the bell. That didn't make no sense for me. But anyway, that's what we get. Ciampa will run, roll out of the ring and pull Miz out. AJ will leap out of the ring. Ciampa would take the hit while he pushes Miz out of the way. Miz would run up the ramp. And we would get a video message from Logan Paul later in the night with Logan saying that he is coming to Monday Night Raw next week to look Miz in the eye and tell him that he's going to face him at SummerSlam. So next week on Monday Night Raw, we're getting a Logan Paul appearance. Whoopee. After this, we get a tag team matchup. Alexa Bliss and Asuka going against Dewdrop and Nikki A.S.H. Alexa and Asuka would win the match by pinfall when Alexa would hit Nikki with a DDT and cover her for the win. They have nothing to do for Alexa and Asuka in Dewdrop and Nikki A.S.H. Ever since the Raw, well, ever since the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships were vacated by Sasha and Naomi when WWE suspended them indefinitely, um, they announced they were supposed to be doing a tournament, but they have not announced no tournament uh, details ever since. And again, I still go to this right now. They need to have those NXT Women's Tag Titles be turned into the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships. So, as the original stated plan, have those tag titles be defended on all three brands. The Raw brand, the Women's uh, brand for the NXT uh, show and also the SmackDown brand that they're doing nothing with all these women right here in this match. They're doing absolutely nothing. Just do that. I'm giving you guys just an idea. Just take it. After this, we were supposed to get a singles matchup of Jimmy Uso going against Angelo Dawkins, but that doesn't happen because our truth will come out when the Street Profits and the Usos were in the ring uh, talking trash to each other. Truth would actually be the special guest referee for their matchup at SummerSlam. The Usos would call Truth the Clown and tell him to go to the back where he belongs. Truth would say that he would take them on with his partners, and he would say that his partners would be the Street Profits. Omos and MVP would come out, and P would offer the services of Omos to the Bloodline, and we would get a six-man tag matchup. Street Profits and R-Truth going against the Usos and Omos. Omos would win the match for his team by pinfall when he hits Angelo Dawkins with a 
two-handed chokeslam for the win. Uh, it was simple. I I liked it. And then also, this adds another wrinkle into this uh, special guest referee because now we don't know who's going to be special guest ref for the Street Profits going against the Usos at SummerSlam for their tag title matchup. It could be R-Truth. It could be Omos. It could be anybody. Um, We're going to have to find out when SummerSlam rolls around. Now it's time for the main event of Monday Night Raw tag team matchup. Bobby Lashley, Riddle, going against Seth Rollins in theory. And midway during the match, Dolph Ziggler will come out to watch the match, and he plays a factor into the ending of the matchup when Riddle and Lashley would win the match by pinfall, when Theory would roll up Riddle and have his feet on the ropes. Dolph would get up from his chair and throw Theory's feet off the ropes. Theory will look at Dolph, and this would allow Riddle to hit Theory with an RKO and then cover him for the win. And then after the match, you would see Dolph get in the ring and super kick Theory. And you would see Dolph just look over and stand over Theory as Raw will go off. And this, I'm hoping this will lead to Dolph just being like the guy that's going to end the future of WWE. Trying to kind of like being that uh, veteran that hates all the newer guys coming up. And what I mean by that is this. Earlier this year, he was on NXT took the NXT title away from Braun Breaker. He was doing this whole little thing down there with the big guy for NXT, Braun Breaker. Again, one of the guys that WWE is counting on in the future. Now we have Austin Theory, the Money in the Bank briefcase winner, and WWE is looking for him to be the future. Dolph Ziggler can just be himself and just say, hey, I'm here to kill the future of WWE, period. I'm here to kill these guys because they don't have an a one iota of what I can do. They don't have as much talent. They don't have as much charisma. They don't have all this stuff, but you guys are giving them the ball instead of me. When I was in their spot, you didn't give me no ball. You didn't give me nothing. This could be Dolph Ziggler just being out of pure hatred and jealousy, but Dolph Ziggler still being Dolph Ziggler, but just with an edge and a point. So I'm hoping we might get that. We might not. I'm hoping that we do, but that's your raw uh, wrestling highlights of the week. Now off to NXT, but a couple things to note. Next week, Joe Gacy uh, group, he's officially called them Schism, and his two guys behind him, they're still called a dyad, but they'll be cleansed, and they will unveil themselves. So next week, we will see who those two guys that Joe Gacy has uh, basically been walking with. Who are Joe Gacy's bodyguards? We'll get to see who they are. Also, Damon Kemp will go against Roderick Strong. And also the NXT UK tag titles will be on the line as Briggs and Jensen will go against Pretty Deadly. Now, NXT would open up with um, showing Roxanne in the parking lot in pain on the ground, yelling as Cora Jade's around her, screaming for help. It seems to me that Roxanne was attacked earlier. We don't know who it is. That's what NXT, the whole episode's theme was, trying to figure out who attacked Roxanne because Roxanne's supposed to get an NXT Women's Championship matchup against Mandy Rose later on that night. And now the NXT Women's Championship main event, the championship match is in jeopardy. We will have to see would that match happen later or would it be canceled? We will see what happened later on in that uh, night. But the first match of the night was Giovanni Vinci going against Apollo Crews. Giovanni would win the match thanks to Zion Quinn. When Apollo would hit Giovanni with the Apollo bomb, Giovanni would roll out of the ring and you would see a fan start taking photos of Giovanni and this would catch Giovanni's attention and he would take the fan's camera away from him. 
Apollo would grab Giovanni, throw him in the ring. The ref would take the camera away from uh, Giovanni and throw it out of the ring. And when the ref does this, you will see Zion Quinn pop out of the crowd and then he would hit Apollo with a forearm then throw him back in the ring. Giovanni then would grab Apollo, hit him with a spinning powerbomb for the win. So Giovanni Venturi has an undefeated record so far in NXT, while Apollo Crews now is going to be having a feud with Zion Quinn because those two did have a uh, talking to section segment uh, a couple weeks ago on NXT. So Zion did not forget Apollo, and we're going to see what happens in the next couple weeks with these two guys. This is just something to keep Zion and Apollo busy. After this, we had Cameron Grimes coming out for an in-ring promo. Cameron comes out and he looks disheveled about not winning the NXT Championship last week. Cameron says that he wished he could come out here and give you guys some type of excuse for not winning the championship, even though he gave Braun his best shot last week, but that just wasn't enough. Cameron would start listing off his uh, losses in the past month. He talks about losing the NXT North American Championship, and then he talks about not winning the NXT Championship last week. But Cameron says, that's just life. Then we get J.D. McDonough come out, the formerly known as uh, Jordan Devlin. He would come out and say that Cameron needs to wrap up the pretty party and go to the back. J.D. would talk about what he did to Braun last week and talk about how nobody was expecting him to debut last week because he was supposed to show up this week, but he did that because the element of surprise. And you would hear Cameron call J.D. an Irish a-hole for what he did last week, and he tell them, how about you attack me from behind? J.D. would give Cameron a headbutt, then try to throw him into the ropes, but Cameron would turn it around and uh, throw J.D. into the ropes, and he was trying to hit him with the cave-in, but J.D. would slide out of the ring, and then you would see Cameron just mouth off to J.D. tell him to get back in the ring, you mess around with the wrong guy. And next week, uh, we will get J.D. McDonough going against Cameron Grimes. That was announced later on the night. After this situation, we would get Kaden Carter with Katana Chance in her corner going against Tatum Paxley, who had Ivy Nile in her corner when Ivy came down like minutes later as the match was already happening. Tatum would win the match by pinfall when she was at the bottom rope, and Kaden would grab her by the legs and pull her closer. And while she does this, you would see Tatum get Kaden in a small package pin for the win. So this is showing that Kaden Carter and Katana Chance are on a losing streak right now, while Tatum Paxley and Ivy Nile are starting to build this connection, and more or less they're probably going to build a tag team for these two ladies because Tatum has been trying to get Ivy Nile's approval to join Diamond Mind and all this type of stuff. So more or less Tatum's going to be joining Diamond Mind. After this, we had Sangha going against Duke Hudson. Sangha would win the match by pinfall when he would hit Duke with a choke slam. Solid big man matchup between these two guys. Nothing bad really to say about these uh, two men. After this, we had the brawl of the night. Solo Sokoa going against Von Wagner, who had Mr. Stone and Sophia Cromwell in his corner. The match would end when both men being counted out, when both men were fighting on the outside of the ring while the ref made the count. After the match, both men continued to brawl outside of the ring, and they will make their way to the backstage. You will get segments in the night of them brawling backstage in the women's locker room, then brawling outside the arena, and you will see Solo Zakoa basically put Mr. Stone in a trash can, and that's about it. So Solo Zakoa and Von Wagner, their business isn't done. We're more or less probably going to get them 
brawling next week, probably to start off NXT. That's the way I would do it, but we'll see how that goes. After this, we had Lash Legend going against Indy Hartwell. Indy would win the match by pinfall thanks to a distraction by Alba Fire when Lash and Indy were on the top turnbuckle and Lash had the advantage and she was looking probably to hit a superplex. Lash would see Alba on a platform and this would distract Lash and this would allow Indy to slip off the top turnbuckle and hit Lash with a spine buster. Indy then would go to try to hit a springboard elbow drop but Indy would slip off the top rope. Lash would try to get Indy in a small package but Indy would reverse that and that's how Indy would get the win. I would say we probably need to change Indy's uh finish from a springboard elbow drop into something else i don't know what to change it into they probably gotta figure that out in the performance center as they're going throughout this week because i promise you they're gonna probably change up her finish because of that slip up but eh, mistakes happen if they keep it with a springboard elbow drop that'll be fine too after the match you will see alba fire get in the ring and uh try to hit lash legend with a baseball bat but lash would move out of the way get out of the ring uh, Alba Fire would continue to follow Lash and constantly swing the baseball bat. Lash would continuously uh, move out of the way of the hits and just basically run to the back. Lash Legend and Alba Fire have been going at one another for the past couple of weeks, ever since Lash attacked uh, Alba during their matchup with the baseball bat. So this is a continuation of their feud that they've been having. After this, we had a tag team matchup of Tony D'Angelo and Stax with Joaquin Wilde and El Toro Cruz in their corner going against Idris and Malik Blade. Tony and Stax would win the match by pinfall when Tony would hit Malik with a spinning fisherman suplex for the win. After the match, Tony would tell Cruz and Wilde to attack Malik. And they did this to prove their loyalty to Tony because Tony told them that this is their opportunity. This will be their way to see if they are truly with the family. So they're with him now because they did not want to end up like Santos Escobar basically in the hospital. So Tony D'Angelo now has, well, control over Joaquin Wilde and El Toro Cruz and also Electra Lopez. The only person he does not have control over so far is Santos Escobar. So we'll see how that goes when Santos comes back to NXT. Now it's time for the main event, the NXT Women's Championship matchup. We would get Mandy Rose with Toxic Attraction coming out. Mandy was out here. She says she doesn't know if uh, Roxanne's even going to come out here to get her championship matchup. That, if she doesn't, that would be a waste of her uh, cashing in her NXT breakout tournament spot. You would get Cora J coming out. And she's in her wrestling gear. She says, if Roxanne can't do it, I'm going to be out here to fight in my friend's honor and take the championship off of you. Roxanne will come out with her ribs bandaged up, telling the medical trainer that she's good. She's ready to do this. Cora will tell Roxanne, you don't, want, you don't have to do this. I can do this for you. I can do this. Roxanne tells Cora, I got it. I'm good. And Roxanne would then get her match with Mandy. So now we have our originally scheduled contest of Mandy going against Roxanne for the NXT Women's Championship. Mandy would win the match by pinfall thanks to Cora Jade. When Mandy and Roxanne were on the outside of the ring and Roxanne just hit Mandy with her finished Pop Rocks, Cora would tell Roxanne to get Mandy back in the ring. Roxanne would get Mandy back in the ring and as Roxanne herself was getting back in the ring, Cora would hit 
Roxanne in the back with the NXT Women's Tag Title. Mandy then will hit Roxanne with a running knee to the face to win the match, so Mandy is still your NXT Women's Champion. After the match, Cora will get in the ring and tell Roxanne that Roxanne is selfish. Cora will tell Roxanne that she brought her into NXT and this is what she does to her. Cora was going to hit Roxanne with her skateboard, but the skateboard breaks off in mid-swing and it breaks in half. So Cora takes one half of the skateboard and starts attacking Roxanne over and over and over again in the back as NXT would go off. Here's my problem with the way they ended NXT with this few that we're going here with Roxanne and Cora Jade here. You guys completely hot-shotted that way too quick. You guys completely rushed this storyline way, way too quick. Here's my thing. Last week, they just won the tag team titles. A week before that, they had a tag match with Katana Chance. Well, yeah, Katana Chance and Kaden Carter. And a week before that, you had them literally coming out together, saying crap to Toxic Attraction and having beef with Caden Carter and Katana Chance. You literally just had, what, two, no, three weeks of building them up as a tag team and having them win the tag team titles. Okay, that's only three weeks literally as a tag team, a unit, right? You already had the pre-notion of Roxanne and Core J being friends and all this type of stuff, yada, yada, yada. You guys did not let this thing really build to the point that Roxanne and Coral will have that type of friction the way that it needed to be. You didn't. I'm going to tell you right now, I saw this from a mile away from the beginning when NXT started with Cora Jade standing up with her hands looking around like, oh my God, oh my God. I'm like, okay, Cora Jade attack Roxanne. I can see where this headed. And as NXT was going on, you have more and more people coming out saying that I didn't do it. I didn't do it. The females coming out saying that they didn't attack Roxanne, blah, blah, blah. And whenever the time for the main event happens, you see Cora J coming out instead of Nikita Lions or uh, anybody else. You saw Cora come out first. I was like, okay, that really signified it. Cora J did it. And then whenever the swerve happened, you saw Cora attack Roxanne from behind. I'm like, okay, that was already pre. You could see that from a mile away. This storyline was heated up and fast forward way too quick. It didn't need to happen. You guys should have let this thing marinate for another two to three months before you turn these two literally against one another. That's what should have happened. Think about it. They just won NXT Tag Team titles. You mean to tell me that we could have gave the NXT Tag Titles literally to Katana Chance and Katie Carter, two women that literally have been busting their humps on the NXT brand literally for about a year and a half as a tag team, and they have gotten literally nowhere. But you... Give it to Cora Jade and Roxanne, ultimately for them basically to vacate the belts next week. And we're going to have, what, a tournament? If that's one way how we're going to eliminate the NXT Tag Team Championships to bring in the WWE Tag Team titles, I'm still not cool with that. Because we could have did that a whole different way. Literally, we could. But I'm just throwing out the idea, if you did that, I still think that was a horrible way. But okay, that's one way that I that people are going to say that they can excuse what you guys did. But you guys literally killing off two tag teams. Katana Chance and Katana Katana Chance and uh Kaden Carter, their credibility as a team has constantly been going down. 
Roxanne and Cora, their tag team just got established last week by beating Toxic Attraction for the NXT tag titles, and now you're splitting them up to feud with each other. You, no, this, no, no, no. I don't know who is making the storylines. I don't know who's booking this stuff, but somebody needs to really examine what they're doing and really look at it and say, that was horrible. This wasn't the way to go. I don't know who accepted this uh, storyline change, but I'm not really with it. I'm going to let this thing go and let it constantly go to see how this goes by. But I'm telling you right now, you guys fast forward this thing way too quick. If you guys were going to go this route, you guys should have had them lose to Katana and Kaden. That's what you guys should have done. But you guys wanted to go with, oh my God, the new team, to beat the old team, to give them... No. No, no, no. You guys should have had Katana and Kaden beat Korra and Roxanne and have Korra have some type of spice to Roxanne. And then, okay, then it would have led to this. Then we could say, okay, it started off with Korra and them losing the Katana chance and Korra not having the ability to go after the NXT Women's Championship while Roxanne still had the breakout tournament in her back pocket to go after a title. That's how you guys should have did it, but you guys went around the block to get to this. I don't like it. Again, you guys completely hot-shotted it, but again, I'm going to see how this stuff transpires. That's just my personal way. If I would have been in charge, I would have had it, it like that. Or if we would have had them continuously, if they were somebody from the top would have said, Gerald, we got to have uh, Cora and Roxanne be the tag champions. I was like, okay, we can do that, but we're not breaking them up no time soon. We're going to constantly go and have them build up for another two more months, and then three more months, and then we can split them up and do that. That's fine. But this quick, I would have completely tried to put my foot down, be like, nah, we can't do that. If you do that, that's killing everything that we're building up here. But, hey, that's just my opinion on NXT. But that's your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to AEW Dynamite. This is their Fighter Fest Week 1, Night 1. Um, The first match of the night would be the TNT Championship matchup. Champion Warlow defending the title against Orange Cassidy, who had the best friends, Trent and Chuck Taylor, out there with him. But they would soon get ejected from the match, not even five minutes into it, because uh, Orange Cassidy is a guy that doesn't take things too seriously, and Warlow is a big dominant man, so the best friends knew they had to cheat. Uh, Cassidy would try to get the referee to look into his eyes as Trent would get on the ring apron and try to take uh, one of the turnbuckle coverings off of it while Chuck Taylor would get underneath the ring and grab a chainsaw. And the referee would spot both of them and he would have to basically kick them out so it was down to Warlow and Orange Cassidy. Uh, Warlow would win the match by pinfall when Orange Cassidy would go for an orange punch but Warlow would catch him in midair and hit him with a power bomb for the win. And after the match, you would see Warlow pick up Orange Cassidy to his feet, then give him a fist bump in respect. And if you enjoy uh, comedy matches, you'll enjoy Orange Cassidy going against Warlow. At the beginning, you had comedy, and also there was a little uh, moment in there where Orange Cassidy and Warlow were outside of the ring, and Orange Cassidy made Warlow chase him, and Warlow just stopped at the entrance uh side of the ring and he went underneath it and he grabbed somebody underneath it and it turned out to be Danhausen. so again another comedy spot right there orange cassidy had all his friends try to help him to win the championship and the funny thing is when usually people do that in wrestling people will usually get booed for that but people love orange cassidy so much people know his stuff that they didn't boo him they just 
cheered him more than anything. Warlow got cheers, but when it comes down to Orange Cassidy, he's one of the most cheered guy in that whole company of AEW. But Orange Cassidy was able to showcase his stuff. He was able to chop down Warlow from time to time, like take him down by the legs and all that. But uh, the big dominant big man still basically reigned supreme over the little guy. So that was the whole story of this matchup. After this, we will get Chris Jericho coming out for an in-ring promo. Chris Jericho would not have the Jericho Appreciation Society around him, and he wouldn't dress like his normal self. He actually came out in a um, burgundy-style suit, and he just had his hair in a ponytail, and he was out here to address Eddie Kingston. He would say that Eddie Kingston is not a liar, and he would go on his whole diatribe by saying that anybody that is friends with Eddie Kingston, it's the worst thing that could happen to them. He would go to list how Ortiz got his head shaved and uh, Santana got taken out by uh, the Jericho Appreciation Society at Blood and Guts, and Santana's on the shelf right now. Brian Danielson, he's on the shelf right now. Ruby Soho got her arm uh, bandaged up because of the attack that happened to her last week. Chris Wood asked Eddie Kingston why he chose to be in a barbed wire everywhere match, probably because Eddie Kingston's a mark, better known as fan for Terry Funk, Onita, and Sabu. And he will question about has Eddie Kingston ever been in a barbed wire match because Chris Jericho has. He actually admits that he was in a barbed wire match at the age of 22 and he admits that he won that match. He will let everybody know that his alter ego, the pain maker, will be going against Eddie Kingston next week. Not Eddie, not Chris Jericho, the pro wrestler, not Chris Jericho, the entertainer, but the pain maker, the guy that's undefeated in AEW, which that was a weird thing to throw out there, but hey, whatever they can to spice up a story for them. And he will declare that next week, that will be their final match between himself and Kingston, and that once Kingston loses, he can crawl back to drinking, doing drugs, having mental issues, and whatever he has. And he will say that Eddie Kingston isn't a liar, but he is a loser. And that's how he will end it there. Again, more with the personal stuff Eddie Kingston wrote about uh, his mental uh, issues that he's been having for a long time. And a Players Tribune article, you can look that up all online, and I actually read it, and it was actually an enjoyable piece. I, You get to learn more about the man, Eddie Kingston, not just the wrestler, but actually the man about what he's been going through and all that. And for Chris to throw that in here, I get it. We're doing things punk rocky over here on AEW. We're not clean cut like WWE or any other wrestling organization out here. But I believe certain topics do need to be danced around. When you talk about somebody having mental issues and all that type of stuff, I think we need to dance around those type of situations instead of just throwing it out like that because, again, wrestling is people's escape from reality. and Certain people might actually have mental issues. So, again, AEW, please take notes. Please dance around those type of things so you can, like, poke the bear a little bit but just, like, dance around it in a tasteful way. That's just my little two cents on that part. After this, we will have... John Moxley going against Kanosuke Takeshita in a world championship qualifying matchup, meaning that if Kanosuke beat Moxley, he will be able to challenge Moxley for the AEW World Interim Championship since John Moxley is the interim champion. That doesn't happen. Moxley would win the match by submission when Moxley would hit the Death Rider, which is a high elevated version of the Paradigm Shift. Then he would hit uh, Kanosuke with the Anvil Elbows, the ones that Brian Danielson is known for doing, and then locking in the Bulldog choke, and then Kanosuke would tap out. This was a nice outing for Kanosuke. He's been having good matches on AEW. People have been mentioning the ones that he has with Jay Lethal at Rampage, 
um, the one that he had last week on Rampage with Eddie Kingston, and now this one with Moxley, and I gotta admit, Konosuke is kind of on a roll, even though he doesn't pick up the wins in these big matches that he's been in, he's been able to have a good outing, and it could lead into him actually having a program with uh, either Pac for the All-Atlantic Championship, whenever Pac comes back from traveling all around the world with that championship, or if they want to put him in with Warlow to just showcase what he could do with Warlow, that'll be another thing. But this was more of a proven ground matchup for Konosuke, more than it was John Moxley, because we all know what John Moxley can do, because that's the reason why they have the interim title on him, and that's the reason why he's waving the AEW flag right now, and he's the man for AEW. So this was more of an uh, outing and see how Konosuke could hang with somebody of that caliber of Moxley, and he was actually able to hang pretty well. After this, we had Luchasaurus with Christian Cage in his corner going against Griff Garrison, who had Brian Pillman Jr. in his corner. But before the match would begin, Christian would be on the ring apron. Well, not the ring apron, the stage. And he would throw out more offensive stuff, this time towards Brian Pillman Jr. Because uh, he would say that he respects Brian Pillman's father. And he would be disappointed in knowing that his last contribution to the wrestling world would be his son, who has been an utter disappointment. I, again, I don't like, I didn't like this one. I didn't like this uh, promo from Christian. The past couple promos that he's been delivering out here has been out of the park. He's actually been able to get some shock value out of everybody. But this one, it was mid to me. It wasn't that great. And the main reason why Luchasaurus is even going against Griff Garrison is because uh, he looks like Jungle Boy. And once Christian brought that to Luchasaurus's, uh attention that made Luchasaurus want to beat up on Griff Garrison. So that's the reason why we have this match. Luchasaurus would win the match by submission when he would lock Griff in a snare trap and Griff would tap out. Again, this was another quick beating of a match. After the matchup, you would see Luchasaurus throw Griff out of the ring and Brian Pillman would get at Luchasaurus, but Luchasaurus would headbutt him right in the head, then lay Brian Pillman on the timekeeper's table. He would then pick up Griff Garrison, choke slam him on top of it, but the table doesn't break, so Luchasaurus has to do it again, and this time with the second choke slam, it actually breaks. It was announced that next week on Dynamite, we would get Christian Cage and Luchasaurus going against both Griff Garrison and Brian Pillman Jr. So, next week, more or less, we're probably going to get Christian and Luchasaurus beating up on Varsity Blondes. I see that. And maybe, just maybe, we might get uh, Jungle Boy to run out there to, to just confront Luchasaurus, and they used to have a nice little moment of them just staring at one another, and you will build up more into the uh, Luchasaurus going against Jungle Boy at All Out, or probably Christian Cage going against Jungle Boy at All Out. One of those two, because this is now, we're on the beating path to build up to All Out at this specific moment. After this matchup, we would get Jake Hager going against Claudio Castagnoli, and Claudio would win the match by pinfall when he would pop Jake Hager up in the air, hit him with a European uppercut, then finish him off with the Ricola bomb. It's basically a straight jacket power bomb, and that's the win. Claudio would start the match off like he did with Zack Sabre Jr. He would run off right at Jake Hager, hit him with a running uppercut, then try to hit him with a neutralizer, but Jake Hager would roll out of the ring, and then you would see those two start to feel each other out, and that's how the match began. I liked this match between both of these guys. This was Jake Hager's best match on the main, well, can't even say main roster, or at AEW just one-on-one whenever he's not with everybody else. Um, Claudio does that with a lot of people. He's actually able to bring out the best out of people. And this was just that Claudio is marking his territory right now. He is what three and O in AEW. 
two and zero on singles competition, but all together three and zero. And I can see them building up Claudio just to get to somewhere where I have no idea. I think he's going to be in a big match at All Out. If he isn't, that's a waste in my personal opinion. But um, yeah. Here's something to note too, by the way. Uh, Jim Ross, he was a big Jake Hager guy in this. I mean, it seemed like when you were hearing the commentary, you were hearing two separate like things going on at the exact same time. You heard Taz and Excalibur talking about the match, and you heard like Jim Ross giving an endorsement to Jake Hager while William Regal would kind of like like applaud Jake Hager being a good wrestler, but like applauding Claudio Castagnoli because that's what William Regal was supposed to do because Claudio's his guy in the uh, Blackpool Combat Club, but with Jake Hager being a guy from Oklahoma, I can see why Jim Ross would do it, but uh, you need to kind of uniform that all together as one. It just felt weird listening to that because you would just get Jim Ross out of nowhere talking about Jake Hager's accomplishment here and there a lot more than the actual in-ring competition itself between himself and Claudio, so I hope AEW was actually able to talk to Jim about that and like fix that into the future. After this, we had Anna Jay going against Serena Deed. Serena would make Anna Jay tap out when she would lock in the Serenity lock, and Anna would tap. Solid match from Anna Jay and Serena Deed. They were in Anna Jay's uh, hometown in Georgia. So they allow Anna Jay to kind of beat up on Serena Deed more than allotted to. And Serena ultimately still would pull out the win. After the match, you would get Serena holding on to the Serenity lock until Mercedes Martinez comes running out. Mercedes would get into the ring, grab Serena, throw her off Anna Jay. Serena would walk up the ramp as you would see Mercedes constantly yelling at Serena to come back down here. This was promoting their upcoming matchup at Death Before Dishonor next Saturday for the Ring of Honor Women's Championship. So we've got one more week for them to build up that. After this, now it's time for the main event. The AEW Tag Team Championship in a triple threat match. The Young Bucks going against Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland going against Team Taz's Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs. And this was a great way to end off Fighter Fest Night 1. Uh, Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland will become your new tag team champions when Swerve will hit Ricky Starks with the Swerve Stomp and cover him for the win. This matchup right here, I enjoyed a lot because you knew the Young Bucks was going to lose the titles because as you were watching the match and you kind of could see how it was going, you're like, okay, we're going to get new champions but you didn't know if it was going to be Keith Lee and Swerve or Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs because they were putting a lot of sauce on both of these two teams to get their maneuvers out on each other and on the Young Bucks as well. At the beginning of the match, you got Keith Lee able to show off his athleticism to uh, Matt Jackson, and Matt Jackson felt like he had to tag out to his brother Nick, and then you saw Keith tag into Swerve, and you saw Swerve and Nick do a couple things. Ricky Starks was able to get his stuff off, be flashly, flamboyant, uh, charismatic, powerhouse Hobbs being the big man, powerhousing it up and going at it with one-on-one with Keith Lee from time to time in the ring. And at one point, he was just spine-bustering everybody. He hits Keith Lee with a big spine-buster. He hits uh, Swerve with a spine-buster. He hits both of the Young Bucks with spine-busters. I mean, it was a nice showing for Ricky Starks and powerhouse Hobbs. And even at one point, they were, it looked like they were going to win the tag titles when they uh, hit a cutter off uh, Nick Jackson and Ricky Starks covered Nick for the win. It looked like he they won the match, but 
that was not uh, in the cards for them. Hope, hopefully, we get Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs to win some type of title somewhere because Team Taz needs it. And again, as I've said for weeks on out, Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs, they've been busting their humps. Powerhouse been busting his hump ever since last year, late last year, 2021, into this year. And Ricky Starks, he's been busting his hump ever since he's been able to medically clearly get back in the ring early 2022. He's been busting it, and this man needs to have a different championship other than the FCW championship with him. So hopefully we get championships around them soon. But I'm glad for Keith Lee and Swerve to win championship gold here. After Dynamite was done, if you went to their uh, YouTube page, and it's still up there now, I believe, um, Keith Lee would be in the ring, and he talks about how he dedicated this match to his friend who has stage four uh, colon cancer. And that was kind of speculated on, I believe, Wednesday because Keith Lee tweeted something out and everybody was trying to figure out what was going down. It was, he tweeted something personal and uh, Tony Khan was on busted open radio. Tony Khan said that I don't think it's my per my place to talk about it. I'm not Keith Lee. He has to talk about that if he wants to. So Keith would talk about that. You can watch the video on YouTube. So, Ladies and gentlemen, if you do have a loved one, please call them up and just talk to them. It doesn't always have to be the worst of times. You always got to talk to your people. He's been friends with this guy for two and a half uh, decades. He mentioned that on the video. And um, I'm just saying, please just keep in contact with your people. You don't know what somebody's going through. So please uh, keep in contact with them and just kind of just do a little checkup just to see how they're doing. But again, congratulations to Keith Lee and swerve for winning the AEW tag titles and they're the first AEW tag team champions that are black men Scorpio Sky was the first black champion in AEW but this is a tag team that are black men that are the first ever AEW tag champions so again congratulations to those guys and that was your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week now off to Impact Wrestling Impact will start with a six-man tag match Motor City Machine Guns teaming up with the Impact World Champion, Josh Alexander, to go against Violent by Design. That is Eric Young, Joe Doring, and Diener. Motor City Machine Guns and Josh Alexander would win the match by submission when Alex Shelley would get Diener in the Motor City Stretch, or people better know it as the Gargano Escape, as Josh Alexander would get Eric Young in an ankle lock when Eric Young tried to break up the submission. Uh, Diener would tap seconds before Eric did, so it was a nice little moment that you saw both members of Violent by Design tap out, and that would give uh, most of the Machine Guns and Josh the win. After the match, you would see Chris Saban holding the Impact Championship, and you would see Josh walk over to grab it from him, and as he does so, Chris doesn't let go of the championship. You would get this moment where Chris Saban and Alex Shelley will look at the Impact Championship, and you would see Josh look at Chris Saban before Chris will let go of the championship. Later in the night, you'll see the Motor City Machine Guns walk up to Scott Demore, and Scott Demore would hear Chris Saban plead his case for why he should be the next number one contender for the Impact World Championship. Scott would tell him that he saw the six-man tag match, and he saw the motivation in Chris's eyes to be the Impact champion again. And he also would mention that he saw Alex Shelley go out there to win the match for their team. So Scott will make a one-on-one uh, number one contenders matchup between both Motor City Machine Guns. So it will be Chris Saban going against Alex Shelley. The winner will face Josh Alexander at Emergence for the Impact uh, World Championship. I like the six-man tag matchup here. The story for this was basically violence by design, uh, Diener and Joe Doring trying to get back in the good graces of Eric Young. 
because before the match even began, before anybody came out, you saw Diener and Joe Doring backstage. They were talking to one another because Eric Young wasn't with them. And they were just figuring out, is Eric going to be with them? Is they're going to go by themselves? They didn't know what was going on. So when they made their entrance and then they waited for the machine guns and Alexander to make their entrance, now they're all trying to figure out, is Eric going to come out? Is he not going to come out? So about a minute into the match, Eric Young makes his entrance out. And this is all to put Diener and Joe Doring back in their spot. It's all about Eric Young. Violence by Design is all about Eric Young. So that's what Eric was doing by having himself come out last. And during the match as well, you would see Diener and Joe Doring like go for a tag, but like Eric Young would like walk away from the team as you would see Diener and uh, Joe Doring just there. It's it was weird because Eric Young is just trying to make them prove that they're worth him. They're trying to prove their worth to Eric Young, and this was a real clear observation when you saw the match that they are trying to do everything they can to prove to Eric that they deserve to still be in Violent by Design. They deserve to be under Eric's tutelage. So with them losing by Diener tapping out, it's going to be real interesting to see how Eric uh, basically looks at them next week on Impact. After this, we would get Steve Macklin going against James Storm. Steve Macklin would win the match by pinfall when James would have Macklin by the waist and he would shove him into the turnbuckle. And when he does this, Macklin would grab the top turnbuckle cover and rip rip it a little bit to expose the uh, metal turnbuckle. Storm would roll up Macklin and as he made the pin, he got to two. Macklin would shove Storm off. Storm's head would hit the exposed turnbuckle. And this would allow Macklin to grab Storm, hit him with a double underhook DDT for the win. After the matchup, you would see Macklin standing in the middle of the ring with the lights still on, and then the lights will go out. Everybody knows what time this is. It's Sammy Callahan to come out now. Once the lights pop right back on, Sammy Callahan is standing in the ring with a barbed wire bat, but Macklin's not in the ring. He's on the entrance stage, and he just starts pointing at his head, saying that he outwitted Sammy Callahan. Sammy Callahan will point the barbed wire bat at Macklin, and this is indicating that Sammy's coming after Macklin. The reason why this is happening is because Macklin helped Moose at Against All Odds to beat Sammy Callahan in the Clockwork Orange matchup, so this is continuing their story that they're having right now. After this, we have Chelsea Green going against Mickey James. Chelsea Green would win the match by pinfall when Mickey was going for her DDT, but Chelsea would slip out of it, roll up Mickey James, and she would have her feet on the bottom ropes. The referee doesn't see it, and he makes the count, and Chelsea Green wins. Uh... This was a nice match between both of the ladies. They got, again, Impact gives their women a lot of time on television. I think this was about a good, what, 15-minute matchup between these two ladies? And they really executed what they needed to. This was a, a rivalry between both of the ladies of Chelsea constantly trying to tell Mickey that she could do it without her. And this is all encapsulated to this because later in the night, we would get uh, the interviewer for Impact catching it with Mickey as she tries to leave the arena and, and she asks her what is her plans going into the future. She says, I'm going home. And she means, what do you mean by that? Sometimes you just gotta, uh, you're not as good as your last match. Some along those lines, meaning that this might be her last match in Impact. We'll have to see when the time goes, but right now it's giving the impression that this might be Mickey's last matchup in Impact. So we'll see. After this, we had another uh, knockouts matchup. Masha Slamovich going against Tennille Dashwood, who had 
Giselle Shaw and Madison Rain in her corner. Masha would beat Tennille by pinfall when Masha would hit the snow plow for the win. This was absolute dominance. Tennille was able to get a couple hits off of Masha Slamovich, but Masha would basically destroy Tennille. Again, they're giving Masha Slamovich the old Samoa Joe circa 2005 run where Samoa Joe was basically untouchable. Samoa Joe was beating up everybody in Impact, basically the X Division uh, when he got in there. So I can see them doing this exact same thing with Masha, and they've been doing this for her since she's got into Impact, I believe, what, March? So this is a good four months worth of uh, story of her just being undefeated in Impact. I want to see who's going to be the first person to beat her or when they do it. I want to see Masha going against Jordan Grace for the uh, Knockouts Championship, but we'll have to see when that rolls around. Now it's time for the main event of Impact. Eight-man tag matchup. Honor No More's Kenny King, Matt Taven, Mike Bennett, and Eddie Edwards with Maria in their corner going against Bullet Club's Ace Austin, Chris Bay, and Impact Tag Champions, the Good Brothers, Carl Anderson, and Doc Gallows. Honor No More wouldn't win the match by pinfall when the Good Brothers had Matt Taven up for the Magic Killer, but Maria would get on the ring apron and hit Gallows with a low blow. This will allow Kenny King to get on uh, the ring apron and hit a springboard blockbuster on Carl Anderson, and then Mike Bennett would hit Gallows with a rolling elbow. This would drop Gallows to one knee. Then Eddie Edwards would hit him with a Boston knee party, which is basically a running knee to the face. Then Matt Taven would get on the top turnbuckle, jump off, and finish Gallows with a frog splash to win the match for his team. Again, I don't know more when it comes down to these big 8-man, 10-man tag matches. They're usually unbeatable. Because Honor No More knows how to work within their numbers. They know how to make the rules bend for them. So this was a good eight-man tag matchup. You got to see Ace Austin and Chris Bay work with the Good Brothers. You got to see Bullet Club, this impact version of the Bullet Club, work together. They still got some fine-tuning to do. Because you could not say it, you could tell. But just by Honor No More's working together compared to Bullet Club, you could tell who's been working with each other. But again... Ace Austin being added to Bullet Club is still fresh, so they still got some fine-tuning to do. But again, the main event was nice. It was a solid watch of Impact. I would say if you're going to watch it, you would want to watch the eight-man tag and the six-man tag. So basically the beginning of Impact and the ending of Impact. But again, solid watch. And that is your Impact Wrestling Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with Michael Cole in the middle of the ring, introducing his broadcast partner, Pat McAvee, which Michael Cole would announce that Pat McAvee has re-signed and signed a multi-year uh, contract extension. So Pat McAvee will be with the WWE for a couple of years. Um, Pat will come and talk about his upcoming match with Happy Corbin at SummerSlam. He would apologize for missing SmackDown last week. He will play footage for why he missed it. The footage will be of him getting beat up by Happy Corbin after Money in the Bank. And Pat would then go to talk about his history with Corbin. It dates back to when they were rookies on the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, Pat would say back then, Corbin was humble. He didn't have as many stupid tattoos. As a matter of fact, he only had one. But once he got to WWE, he became a douchebag, started getting tattoos that were hideous. And Pat would start running down Corbin. Pat would say that at SummerSlam, he's going to smack Corbin in the mouth and make Corbin humble again. Corbin would interrupt Pat, but he's on the screen. Corbin would tell Pat that he needs to stay behind the commentary table where he belongs. 
Corbin would say that he would love to come out there and beat up on McAfee, but he says that he might have caught something last week when he was in Pat McAfee's chair and he shows off his arm and it has like all these little red markings on it. And he says he might have probably got monkey pox or something, but that'll be fine right now because Corbin says that he will be staying away from McAfee until SummerSlam and he will see him at SummerSlam. Pat will say that Corbin is making up having monkey pox because he's allergic to being around greatness. And then Pat will then change the direction and he would introduce the SmackDown Women's Champion, Liv Morgan, so we can have our first match of the night. It'll be Liv Morgan going against Natalia, And if Natalia wins, she gets a future SmackDown Women's Championship matchup. That doesn't happen because Liv would win the match by pinfall when Natalia had Liv in the ankle lock. But Liv will reverse out of it, push Natalia headfirst into the second turnbuckle, then hit her with her double knees to the face, better known as a code breaker, then hit Oblivion for the win. After the match, Liv was interviewed in the middle of the ring and asked about her not being as dominant as Ronda Rousey was when Ronda defeated Natalia last week. Liv would decipher what that question was and say that basically she's the underdog going into her match with Ronda at SummerSlam. She knows that, and people can call her the underdog all they want, but at SummerSlam and at the SummerSlam, what they will be calling her is still champion. So Liv plans on beating Ronda at SummerSlam. I see them probably giving a nice, solid match. I don't know what to expect out of Liv and Ronda, to be honest with you. I don't know what type of chemistry they're going to have, but I think it's going to exceed my expectations, personally, because right now I don't have no expectations for them. So right now they're going... I'm hoping that they do something. I'm hoping that uh, they pull out something out of the bag, out of Liv Morgan's bag and Ronda Rousey's bag that make people go, oh, wow, okay, they actually have good chemistry. But we'll have to see uh, at SummerSlam. After this, we will get the New Day coming out, but they're dressed up as the Viking Raiders. Uh, Xavier Woods would pull a Monty Brown. He would get in the ring and rub his forehead on the top rope, and I like the little shout-out to Monty Brown. If people don't know who Monty Brown is, Monty Brown was a former uh, professional wrestler, also a former NFL player. He had uh, a lot of charisma, a lot of it, in early Impact TNA in 2004, 5, and, like, six before he went over to WWE and you he had heavyweight champion written all over him if you can go to YouTube and type in Monty Brown promos he would sound really really believable and also the way that he spoke it was just so of that time and era and still even now if he were to come back to WWE or Impact uh and do what he did then oh he'll be world champion now because people like the charisma and all that type of stuff but again i'm going off on a tangent i like the little shout out to monty brown uh they would try to speak like the vikings and basically they would make fun of the vikings the viking raiders would then come out and say that yes they might look new but they are more vicious the new day would continue to make fun of the viking raiders until the vikings throw the mics down and start walking towards the ring xavier will pull out a viking horn and start blowing into the horn to making a sound and then you will see Jinder and Shanky attack the Vikings. So this was a big ambush. Uh, as Jinder and Shanky would attack the Viking Raiders, they will grab the shields away from them. And when they do that, you'll see Kofi and Xavier jump off the top turnbuckles onto the Viking Raiders. Then you'll see Kofi, Xavier, and Jinder and Shanky get back in the ring as the Vikings would retreat. So right now, it seems that the New Day and Jinder and Shanky have a common enemy in the Viking Raiders, and they're going to do whatever they can to take out the Viking Raiders. Again, as I said before, the New Day is going to turn something into at least 
enjoyable or in, entertainable. Again, the New Day is one of those factions, one of those groups that they will be head to something and they'll make it enjoyable for you to watch. Also, update, by the way, on Big E. Big E did have an uh, interview with TMZ and he gave them a medical update. He has to uh, still rest right now. He doesn't have the neck brace on. They're going to be checking on him around March to see if he can still go back in the ring. But the question was asked to him if his career ends right now, will he be satisfied? And Big E says that he will be at peace if he's never wrestles again. And I'm not going to go into my whole Big E retirement speech. I'll only do that whenever March rolls around and he actually does retire. But right now, if he does retire, I will say that um, the New Day with Big E did have a good run, but I hope that all is well, and I hope that he actually is able to do whatever he wants. I'm not going to try to be like that fan that always like, I hope they come back. Hey, even though we will want it to happen, we want the performers to be happy and go about their lives because wrestling is, again, is only a finite amount of time for you to do whatever you want because you are in there, you're taking bumps, you're going to get bruised up and banged up, so you want to be safe as much as you can and make as much money as much as you can. But again, I'll get into that speech whenever Big E announces his retirement. I just want to give everybody an update right now on uh, Big E. After this, we were supposed to get an Aaliyah going against uh, Lacey Evans matchup, but that doesn't happen because Lacey pulls what she does last week. She would come out, the crowd would boo her, she would tell the entrance uh, audio guy to cut her music and start it again. She will hear them booing again. So Lacey will put, cut the same promo that she does last week, basically saying, telling the crowd to go to hell and that she's not going to perform until they uh, do better and uh, cheer for her because she is a U.S. veteran. She fought for this country and fought for them and all that type of stuff. So this match doesn't happen. She walks away. We were supposed to get Drew McIntyre going against uh, Sheamus. Like we were supposed to get last week, but that doesn't happen. Instead, we get Drew going against Ridge. Drew would beat Ridge when he hits him with the white noise and then the Claymore kick for the win. More or less, we're probably going to get Sheamus going against Drew at SummerSlam where the winner goes against the Universal, uh, well, sorry, the Undisputed Universal Champion at uh, Castle, well, Clash at the Castle. Again, it's going to be Drew because Zari was announced months ago when Drew came back, but this is fine. We're going to save Drew versus Sheamus at SummerSlam. They always deliver on big matches because they're two dudes that like to just throw hands with each other. So that's going to be fun. Uh, after this, we get Theory going against Madcap Moss. The commentators would say that this match was between two guys who are the future stars of WWE. Uh, Madcap would win the match by disqualification when Theory would hit Madcap with the Money in the Bank briefcase. Theory would hit him in the back and then start walking up the ramp. The announcer would announce uh, Madcap Moss as the winner of the match. Theory would say that no one cares and that the youngest Money in the Bank uh, winner and future Undisputed Champion Theory is here. Sammy will come out, Sammy Zayn to be more specific, and he will have his left arm in a sling and tell Theory that he is being disrespectful. Sammy will say that he suggests Theory for apologize for being disrespectful, for saying that he's going to cash in uh, the Money in the Bank briefcase on... Roman Reigns at SummerSlam. Theory will call Sammy a suck-up and ask him what's he going to do if he doesn't apologize. So then you hear the Usos theme hit and the Usos will walk out and now you see Theory start backtracking it because he feels that the Usos are going to attack him. So he starts walking back towards the ring. 
And what he doesn't know is that Madcap is still there, and Madcap runs up and shoulder blocks him right into the ring barricade. Moss would then pick up Theory and then throw him into the ring post and then throw him on the opposite side of the barricade. So right now, Theory is not making friends on either Raw or SmackDown. Somewhere down the line, he's going to have to make some type of alliance with somebody just so he can cash in his uh, Money in the Bank briefcase at SummerSlam. Do I know who he's going to join with? No. Do I have a feeling it might be Happy Corbin? Maybe, because they both have... Uh, hatred towards Pat McAfee, and I believe Corbin might even try to be on the good side of Vince McMahon or whoever the higher power is that they're going to put with Theory, but we shall see. Now it's time for the main event of SmackDown. Jimmy Uso with Jay Uso in his corner going against Angelo Dawkins, who had Montez Ford in his corner. Uh, Sammy will be on commentary for this match. Angelo Dawkins would win the match by pinfall with Angelo with sky high on Jimmy Uso and pin him, but Jimmy's right shoulder wasn't on the mat when the referee made the count, so the referee doesn't see the count, and he gives the win to Angelo Dawkins. After the match, you will see the replay show that Jimmy's shoulder wasn't on the mat, and now you have the Usos uh, complaining with the Street Profits, the Street Profits complaining with the Usos, and Adam Pearce would come out, and he would say that, I understand what you guys are going through with the Street Profits, uh, claiming for their situation at Money in the Bank where Montez Ford's shoulder was up and now with Jimmy uh, Uso's shoulder was up tonight against Angelo Dawkins. So he would introduce everybody to the special guest referee that's going to be refereeing their match for the Undisputed Tag Titles at SummerSlam, and it happens to be Jeff Jarrett. After the announcement, uh, both teams would start brawling with each other. And you would get referees coming out trying to split up the Usos from the Street Profits. But that would be SmackDown going off like that with the Street Profits and the Usos going against each other. SmackDown was a dud if you missed it. Uh, The only highlights that really truly came out of this thing was literally what? Uh, Theory and Madcap, they had a nice good solid matchup. And also, next week we would get a rematch of Ludwig Kaiser going against Shinsuke and... The thing is that Ludwig had a interview backstage and Gunther was with him. And basically Gunther says that we will no longer accept losses because they are a disgrace and nobody will be disgracing the ring general. And he would chop Ludwig in the chest to kind of give Ludwig a taste of what will happen if he loses the Shinsuke again next week. Also, Maximum Male Models, they will be introducing their uh, summer wear collection and also we will be getting max dupree's sister on here maxine dupree i have no idea who they're going to play as maxine dupree at all i can't wait to see it because i like what they're doing the max male model stuff i like what they're doing with max dupree formerly known as la knight formerly eli drake he's a good guy to be on the mic i just can't wait to see who's going to try to interrupt one of your fashion shows one time and then they get beat up by the models i can't wait to see because i know that's exactly where we're Headed down this path on SmackDown. But again, that's your uh, SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now going off to AEW uh, Rampage. Rampage will open up with a tag matchup. House of Black members Malachi Black and Brody King with Julia Hart in their corner going against Dark Orders, John Silver, and Alex Reynolds. House of Black would win the match by pinfall when they hit their tag finish. Dante Inferno, which is an assisted Gonzo Bomb, onto Alex Reynolds for the win. After the match... House of Black would walk up the ramp, and as they're on the entrance stage, Darby Allen would jump off one of the entrance tunnels 
and land on Brody King. Brody King would throw Darby off of him, and then Darby would run right back onto him. So now Brody and Darby are fighting with each other. It's basically big dog versus little dog mentality that you see right here. Sting would come out of the good guy entrance tunnel, and he would have a stare down with Malachi Black. The fans would be cheering as Malachi and Sting just constantly look at each other. They don't move towards each other and make a strike. They just stand there and look at each other. And then they walk to their respective tunnels, Sting to the good guy's tunnel, Malachi to the bad guy's tunnel. They do that, and then they walk right uh, back to each other, and they just have a nice stare down again. So it's telling me that we're going to get Malachi and Brody King going against Darby and Sting somewhere down the line. I don't know when. I don't know. It's going to be one week, two weeks from now, but we're getting that. After this, we have the Ring of Honor World Championship matchup. Lee Moriarty, who had Matt Seidel in his corner, going against Jonathan Gresham, who had Tully Blanchard in his corner. Gresham would win the match by submission, where Gresham would get Moriarty in the octopus lock, and Lee Moriarty would have to tap out. After the match, Gresham had an in-ring interview with Tony Schiavone, and the interview was about Gresham going into death before his honor as Ring of Honor World Champion. Gresham would say that you were going to see him on Dynamite and Rampage each week from now because he is the best wrestler in the world. After the interview was done, Claudio Castagnoli would come out on the entrance stage, and he would just look at Gresham, and Gresham would just mouth off to Claudio. Claudio would mouth off to Gresham, and later in the night, we would be informed that at Death Before the Honor, in the main event, it would be Claudio Castagnoli challenging for the Ring of Honor World Championship against Jonathan Gresham. I have a feeling this is going to be a good match because Claudio has never uh, won the Ring of Honor World Championship, and I think they might give him the world title at Death Before This Honor. I don't think they're going to try to wait to pull the trigger on making Claudio a world champion. I think they're going to do it right there at Death Before This Honor. After that matchup, we had Chris Statlander and Athena going against the Renegade Twins, Charlotte Renegade and Robin Renegade. This was a quick matchup. Athena and Chris would win the match by pinfall when Athena would hit Charlotte with the O-Face, which is basically a jumping uh, stunner off the turnbuckle for the win. After the match, uh, Lila Gray, who is the, well, intern baddie, would get on the ring apron and mouth off to Athena. Until Chris Statlander would grab her and throw her into the ring. Now, you will see Chris and Athena beat up on Lila Gray until Jay Cargill and Kiara Hogan come out and make the save. Uh, Jade and Kiara will beat up on Athena and Chris laying them out. So, Lila Gray did all this to try to prove herself to Jade and Kiara Hogan. But it still backfires because Jade and Kiara both still do not like Layla. And you still have Stokely Chill still trying to play the peacemaker between all three of these ladies, and we're going to have to see how this continues to go, probably on Dynamite. After this, we had the Gun Club coming out for an in-ring uh, promo to explain why they turn on the Acclaimed. Billy would say he knows why everybody is upset about what they did to the Acclaimed. Billy would say that he knows everybody loves the Acclaimed. He would says he loves the Acclaimed. He loved them like they were his kids. Then he had to stop and say, as a matter of fact, I love them better than I treated my own kids. And then he would say, but then there comes a time where uh, Billy Gunn has to drop the hammer. So then the claim would come out. They come directly to the ring, ready to fight. Billy would stop them and say, listen, I know what everybody wants, and let's give it to them one last time before we all go our separate ways. And Billy tries to scissor uh, the claim, but only thing Billy would get is a super kick to the jaw by Anthony Bowens, and then you see the claim start brawling with Colton and Austin Gunn. 
The acclaim will get better of the exchange, clotheslining both of the men outside of the ring. So we're going to get the acclaim going against the gun club somewhere, somewhere soon. If not, next week on Rampage, probably like two weeks on Dynamite, because I see this being a Dynamite matchup, but we'll see. They never announced it. I'm just throwing that out there. Now it's time for the main event of Rampage. The Lucha Brothers with Alex Abrahantes in their corner, going against the private party who had Andrade and Jose in their corner. The Lucha Brothers would win the match by pinfall when Phoenix would hit Mark Quinn with a black fire driver for the win. I did not like this finish at all because what happens was the referee would get distracted by Alex Abrahantes and Jose having their little fighting deal outside of the ring. Roosh would run into the ring. He will beat up on Penta, throw Penta into Mark Quinn, and then Penta would flip that over into a Canadian destroyer on Mark Quinn, and then you would see him tagging Phoenix and then Phoenix with the black fire driver. Why would you not just elf, like low blow Penta and take his mask and have Mark just win the match? That was stupid. I don't know what the deal is. I hope they split Private Party away from Andrade and Jose and the whole Andrade, like, love faction, Ingo Nobles, because Private Party need to be on their own. They are growing into themselves. When you look at Private Party three years ago to now, they're starting to grow into their physiques. They're starting to build their physiques. So Private Party needs to be by themselves so they can start gaining wins and being back on the AEW, like, tag team, like, scenes. That's my whole thing with them. So I would love if you could please get them back on the freaking scene. That'll be great. Just allow them to be themselves and allow private party to be private party. But that's AEW Rampage for you. Uh, again, this one, you, need, you didn't miss none on Rampage neither. The only thing that you probably want to go back to see is probably like uh, the Ring of Honor World Championship matchup. But other than that, Rampage, you missed nothing on. Now, a couple things before I get you guys out of here. Um, I want to talk about two things. One thing is WWE is going back to TV 14. Well, let me clarify it. WWE Monday Night Raw is going back to TV 14. It was tweeted out earlier this week that WWE was going back to TV 14 Monday Night Raw by an Andrew Zarian of the Mat Men podcast. He tweeted it out because apparently he has a source. The source told him that... um. They were going to, WWE Monday Night Raw was going back to TV 14 July 18th. However, Thursday he had to backtrack it and he had to backtrack the tweet. And what he basically wrote was that Thursday night, uh, the memo was, that memo of WWE being Monday Night Raw going back to TV 14 was apparently premature and the date for the switch has not yet been finalized. But WWE Monday Night Raw is going back to TV 14, but there has been no date for it. Apparently, WWE and the USA Networks behind the scenes have been talking about this for years. But have no fear, ladies and gentlemen. WWE is going, well, Monday Night Raw, I have to constantly say this, is going back to TV 14. WWE as a whole went to uh, PG in June the 22nd, 2008. And now they were going, Monday Night Raw is going back to TV 14, meaning that we're going to get uh, probably more people getting liberties to say certain, certain words, like the B word, the A word, uh, even the S word. I can't say these words because I'm trying to keep this show, particularly PG. You might hear me say a little bit of this stuff on the Sunday shows from time to time, but wrestling always try to keep it PG a little bit here. Um, but yeah. WWE on Monday Night Raw is going back to TV 14. I find that 
uh, astounding because you know why? That allows a lot more creative freedom for a lot of these guys. You give them much more time to uh, play with their character more. If their character seems a little bit stale on the PG, let them get some creative freedom on TV 14. Let them not go completely wild as AEW got like the rock star status when they are TV 14 and they can just go nuts. Let them play around with a couple of things and let's see what can work for them or not. Because that's how you get great moments like Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock. I'm not saying people are going to be like them. I'm just saying you give them the exact same opportunity that you gave Rock and Austin back in the day when WWE Monday Night Raw was on TV 14. That's why you got so many of these classic moments. Same thing with DX, TV 14, the whole suck it, the whole uh, crotch chop and all that type of stuff. That would made DX what they are and they're memorable. And that would made the attitude more memorable and all this type of stuff. Yes, it was ridiculous uh, storylines, but it was also these amazing characters that you got to see on Monday Night Raw on a TV 14 product. And now with Raw being three hours for God knows how long, I think they've been a three hour program for what, uh, 11-ish years? No, almost a decade. I think it was a decade this year, 2012. I think they go, this year will be a decade since Raw has been literally three hours. And with that, you give them a lot much more characters, a lot much more creative freedom to basically mess around with their stuff. But again, Monday Night Raw, we're going back to TV 14 sometime soon. It hasn't been announced but they're going back. Uh, there's no reports on changing the rating for SmackDown, which is TV PG. So it looks like they're going to be a PG product still. In NXT, there's still a PG product, and it seems that they're going to be still a PG product. The only one that we're changing right now is Raw. So I see Raw is going to be the test drive to see if the ratings will get boosted up a little bit by the TV 14. And if so, then I can see them probably messing around with the NXT product to uh, mess with it. But NXT, they get a little bit of doldish on there a little bit without even being a TV 14 product. So, hey, WWE do what they wish on that. I just want everybody to know Raw is going back to TV 14, but I just don't know when. Now, on to the last thing. Sasha Banks. Sasha Banks somehow got brought into the news this week of wrestling news because um, somebody happened to leak out how much Sasha Banks is asking for conventions to bring her in. And according to Fightful Select, Sasha Banks is commanding an asking price of $30,000 per appearance. As it reads, since her C2E2 appearance was announced Wednesday, several promoters both in and outside the wrestling business have reportedly expressed interest in booking her to conventions slash signings. Specifically, at least two wrestling promoters have reached out to Banks representatives. One of the promoters told Fightful that Banks isn't taking wrestling-related signings until at least January 1st, 2023, confirming an early report that Banks is accepting only non-wrestling appearances through 2022. One promoter told Fightful that Banks' steep asking price is exactly as they expected, elaborating that her demand should be high since she left WWE on her own terms. Furthermore, Banks has never been part of the convention circuit and has a huge fan base willing to support her at such events. So I'm happy that Sasha Banks is able to get the money that she rightfully deserves because, as I said before, even with the Big E situations, um, WWE wrestling as a whole, you only have a certain amount of time to make the money that you can. So make that money, do what you can do, and a make the wrestling business work for you, not you work for it. Now, there was a lot of people online complaining about Sasha Banks' asking price of being $30,000, but... I remember somebody saying something one time. I just, it's on the tip of my tongue. Matter of fact, you know what? 
it was Fadjo. Fadjo, what what was that again? Yesterday's price is not today's price. Well, he just said, you see that? What Fadjo just said. Yesterday's price is not today's price. See, here's the deal. Wrestlers know this the most. One day I can be a complete bona fide scrub. And then the next day I can get a push and I can become world champion, intercontinental champion. Now my leverage and my intangibles have increased. Wrestling does that, okay? And here's the thing with Sasha Banks. You just heard exactly what I read. She has a huge fan base that's ready to back her. So guess what that means? There's going to be people going out to these conventions to want to see Sasha Banks and want to see her in person and get to just see how she's feeling. They want to talk to her. They want to just be around this entity that they see on TV with knowing the knowledge that she has left her childhood dream job and they want to know why and all this type of stuff. They'll at least get to ask her these questions to her face at these conventions and at least try to get some whatever they can out of it. And also, these convention centers, the people that are, well, enlisting the services of Sasha Banks at these conventions, they are reaping the benefits of this because guess what? They're getting uh, people to come to their venue. They're getting people to come to their conventions. They're getting money out of this situation. So if you are not the person putting up the money for Sasha Banks to come to your convention, don't say nothing about this. I don't want to hear nothing. If you're not a legit owner of a convention owner talking about this, don't say nothing. Seriously, let the wrestlers do what they do, all right? Let them. And as I said before, again, I like when the wrestlers make the wrestling business work for them, that you work for it. Because there's been too many wrestlers that were poor as soon as they get out of wrestling business. And people might say, well, they were poor with their money. They did this and all that. Listen, the wrestlers had to spend a lot of crap and a lot of money on rental cars and all these type of things just to even get themselves to these locations. And, dude, that's a lot. I think they should have a bus that they can get on that goes with the company. I think the company should be paying for their rental cars. I think companies should have a driver for each wrestler. Like, if there's a group that wants to have one driver, here's your driver. If there's another group that wants to have another driver, here's your driver. I think these wrestlers should have drivers, but WWE doesn't do that. AEW, they only work once a week, so I don't see them uh, needing to have a driver the way that AE, like, WWE does. So, again, when you're a WWE wrestler, you're working live events, you're working these... Uh, pay-per-view shows you're working these uh television programs i mean there's a lot of it stuff that goes to it so i'm happy that sasha's able to get her money that she wants out of these bookings for thirty thousand dollars after the hard work that she's been putting in and busting her hump to make her name the biggest name that it can be in wrestling and also coming out of wrestling on into the hollywood field because again she was in star wars i believe like the one of the star wars little series on uh disney Plus, she was on the, what what was it, God, The Mandalorian. She was on that. So, again, you got Star Wars fans that's going to want to see her, and they're going to probably go into the wrestling stuff to see what she's done in wrestling. Sasha Banks has done a lot for wrestling, too. There's going to be future women that are going to go into WWE or go into wrestling because of what Sasha Banks has done. Her matches with her and Bayley, her with Charlotte, her with uh, other women on the roster. I mean, she is one of those phenomenal talents that she can go to anywhere, and she's going to do fine. So, again, I'm happy that Sasha's getting her $30,000 for these conventions. Do not pocket watch her if you're not paying for her. Shut up and just let these wrestlers get their money. That's just my two cents on the matter. Now, with that all being said, uh, my Twitter is at my2podcast. Instagram, my2centspodcast, G2. 
My email is mytwocentspod at yahoo.com. I want you guys to have a great Saturday. I hope you guys please take care of yourselves. Be all right. There's dickheads on the road. People are out here going to harm each other, not caring about who else is on the road. They're only caring about themselves. Please care about other people. Please don't say nothing bad to other people. Please allow them to just have their bad days. If they're having a bad day, just let it go because you don't know who can be set off by something that you're saying. You don't want somebody to snap off on you just for something so stupid. So again, please be good. Have a great Saturday. I love you all. And if you could, uh, please listen to my Sunday episode tomorrow. It will just call Reputation. Uh, I think you'll probably like some of the topics that I talk about. But again, that's tomorrow. And with that, I love you all. I thank you. Have a great Saturday. Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.